Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Rory Vaden, a speaker and the author of New York Times bestseller, Take the Stairs. How's it going, Rory? Hey, I'm doing great, Brett. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I am, um, I'm excited to talk to you. You have some insights that are atypical of my, uh, my usual tech guests. Uh, <laughs> you uh. think? I think. <laughs> um, um, so tell, tell us a little bit, uh, without reading the book cover, what is Take the Stairs all about? So Take the Stairs is, you know, it's just a metaphor. It's like the last time that you were walking along uh, and you were in front of a set of escalators of some stairs, you know, did you take the stairs? For most of us, no. Most of us, we took the escalator. But, um, you know, the concept is that when you really break apart successful people, like you deconstruct what their success uh, is and how it came about, you find that really the only thing that every successful person has in common is that at some point, They've had to learn how to do the things they know they should be doing even when they don't feel like doing them. And so the book is really about the psychology of overcoming procrastination and increasing self-discipline, which is, you know, what we call, i.e., take the stairs. So it's really about, you know, making self, helping people realize that self-discipline isn't as hard as we think when we know how to think about it the right way. I think that makes perfect sense. Except for me, it's kind of weird because... Taking the stairs is usually what I do when the elevator or the escalator looks slower. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So uh, taking the stairs is like my shortcut. But uh-huh. I think uh, I think the point of the book after after reading through it is actually that you take the harder, more deliberate path to yeah. get what you want. So, yeah. So so this, it, this is a, an interesting distinction to make. Um, one of the principles in the book is called the paradox principle of sacrifice. And it simply says... Um, Easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences. Meanwhile, difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. So one of the the things uh, that's interesting is that Take the Stairs is not about making life as hard as possible at all. In fact, it's the complete opposite. It's about making your life as easy as possible. But it is based on the premise of the truth of the ultra-performers that we profiled um, that that the shortest, most guaranteed path to greatness is to do the hardest parts of things as soon as possible. And so that's where the paradox comes in. It's, it's you know, the, I think the reason the book has spread um, so quickly is because people are just realizing that this is easier than we think. Um, but one of the key insights is that ultra performers know that procrastination and indulgence are really nothing more than creditors that charge you interest. And, and having that perspective changes everything. So how, uh, how, how does one become a New York Times bestseller? Let me rephrase this question. Uh, <laughs> what, wh- how hard was it to write this book for you? Are, you? are you someone who can sit down and just whip out a book? Or is this something that took a lot of planning, a lot of time mm. and discipline? Yeah, so there is nothing easy about becoming a New York Times bestseller. It's incredibly hard. Um, and writing the book, this is what people don't understand, is only like 20% of creating a successful book. Uh, I mean, it is so, so hard. So the journey to, to this book, you know, uh, was basically 
Um, it was about four years worth of kind of research and study and case studies and interviews and kind of throwing around concepts to then getting the book deal. It took us two and a half years to get the book deal and, and separate of writing the book, that part was insanely difficult. And that's a hour long story about how we (laughs) pulled that off. And, um, but then once we got the book deal, once we signed with our agent, we had, like 12 offers from publishers within like three weeks. And so then we had an offer. And then once, so once we signed it, then it was only a year. Uh, It was basically, you know, three or four months of actually sitting down and writing it. And then another, you know, the eight months to, to create the launch. And then it's been three years. And then our other new book just came out this week. So that, that was, it's been three years since, since take the stairs. But, um, what I, what I do, Brett, is I work in uh, something, it's actually a concept from Take the Stairs in what we call harvest seasons. And so a harvest season is, it's kind of the opposite of work-life balance. It's, it's imbalance. It's the idea that really the way that you get, you get great results in your life is not by trying to do a little bit of everything. It's by completely imbalancing your life in one direction for a short, predefined season of time that's like a farmer. It's a harvest season. And we, we feel like balance is a, is a stupid term to use when thinking and talking about how we spend our time and that using the phrase seasons and the metaphor of a season is much more reflective of how most of our lives actually operate. I think that's very true. I know it is for me. Um, would you say then that like three years of marketing to one year of writing is about right? Um, well, actually, I would say it's it's more like it's more like two years of research and I, idea, uh, like ideation. Then it is like only three months of writing, and then like you know at least a year of marketing <laughs> just for the pre-launch. So, you know, so like procrastinating on purpose. The book just came out last Monday. It was like you know it's been a three-year process but it's been nine months of just preparing for last week and now you know you're marketing forever yeah yeah that's that's the part that scares me that's why everything i've done has been self-published so far Uh Um, and and not highly successful either um okay so this is an unplanned question but when you sit down to start a book like this Mm -hmm. like like either procrastinate on purpose or take the stairs how okay. what's the first thing you do when you're when you're kind of brainstorming the idea? How do you do it? Oh man, that's such a good question. So um yes, completely off off script, but a great question. So so here here it is. And this is what most books don't do, even some of the successful selling ones, is in and it's really hard. In one sentence, think about what do you want the person to think, feel or do differently when they are done. And to capture the whole premise in one sentence, not a run-on sentence, not one with like 18 commas, like one sentence. And so that was really hard. So when, when, when we were, our team, so Southwestern Consulting, so our company, you know, I started, uh, I was one of the founders in 2006. And when we launched Take the Stairs, we probably had 20 people. Now we have almost 100. So now we're, we're, we're getting to be a pretty big team. But, you know, when we launched Take the Stairs, we used this formula that's like topic, message, brand. So the topic was self-discipline. The problem that it solves is procrastination. The message in one sentence is do the things you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing them. 
and then the brand was take the stairs. So the brand is kind of what sells. That's what gets people to buy it. But the message is kind of what gets it to spread um, because people because people really you know love it. And so um, that isn't that's that's the key is in one sentence. And then while we're on the topic of writing, just to sneak it in, if I had one secret, so that's the your question was what's the first thing you do? That's the first thing I would do. But if I had one secret to um, to writing is don't write to the world, write to one person. And, and literally when I first started writing, take the stairs, all my writing sucked. Like I would go back and I would read it and it was just so generic and like blah. And then what happened was I got in a fight with, um, a family member. I won't say who it is, but, uh, <laughs> cause this is, this is not something that I share very often. I got in a fight with a family member and I got, I was so mad after the call that I, 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 I wrote at them all of the things I didn't have the courage to say to them directly. I wrote at them and I went back and I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> and so now every time I write an article, like a blog or anything, I put the name of a person in my life that I am writing to at the top. And then I put the message like in one sentence, what do I want them to do when they're done? And then I, and then I write at them like full force emotional it's like it's like what battling it's like rappers doing battle sure that's interesting i uh i'm working on a book on uh file tagging right now which is a very kind of Ex- exciting topic <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, yep. I, I, i'm trying to come up with a word for it but that's you know uh a, a, a facetious exciting is good enough um uh-huh. but i found that it was way easier once i started writing the book to my mom Yes, because Jackpot. she's the one who's always asked me the most questions about this subject, and she's the one who has the most to learn about it. So I just focus on her and her personality, and and the things that I'm trying to convey to her, and it does work. Jackpot. And yeah, and that the idea of like a thesis statement for the book uh, as a starting point. I mean, that's what college kids are taught to do when they're writing long dissertations, is to distill it to one statement and then write about it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's uh, I think that's really I think that's sound advice for people who have uh, who who maybe did that in college and then moved on from academia onto other pursuits. Well, so. and it's it's the same. And the principle, you know, it's you know, it's a good idea for writers. But the principle extends you know far beyond writing. It's like if if you're going to create an app, right? It's like you don't want to have it do everything. Like you think about what is the one thing that I want this to do. If you're going to launch a business, it's like, what is the one thing that we're going to be amazing at? Um, if it's, if, if it, you know, just like that concept of distilling like a huge, scary project down into one sentence, yeah, it's really em- empowering. And it, it, it becomes a guidepost. Um, one of the core concepts that we talk about in procrastinate on purpose is eliminate, uh, and that perfection is achieved not only when nothing more can be added, but when nothing else can be taken away. And having a core message or a core uh, a clarity about that focus, whether it's a business or a, a, a program or your life, having that clarity helps you determine what to say no to. And in, and in the next generation, deciding what things we say no to is I believe even even more important than deciding what we say yes to, which is kind of where the title "Procrastinate on Purpose" comes from. It's it's basically intentionally saying no to some things so that you can say yes to others. 
that's perfect because it leads me to a book-related question that I wanted to ask, or at least okay. a, a topic I wanted to raise. Um, you talk about uh, verbosity and swearing in the same chapter, uh, uh-huh. as far as uh, the words we use, words we choose to use, and how they can affect us. Sure. And for, the swearing thing was interesting to me because for like as a kid, yeah, I I started swearing to sound more grown up. And uh-huh. like I, I got bullied. I grew up in a house that nobody ever swore. Like even the simple things, like "damn," were outlawed. Uh-huh. Um, and so I started getting bullied on the playground by people who actually knew how to swear. So I picked up swearing almost as a defense mechanism. But Interesting. Then, once I got online at like the age of twelve or thirteen, when the internet happened, um, uh-huh. like I, I, I was very careful not to swear because I treated everyone as if they were much older than me and I would never swear in front of an adult because you sure. get, you know, detention. Um, and then for 20 years, I never swore online. And I just started maybe a few years ago, occasionally dropping <laughs> in for mostly for humor purposes. I'll never swear out of anger online uh-huh. um, unless it's That's regarding cancer. But, um, but yeah, like I still like, I found that you're, you're spot on in the book about the idea of if swearing inappropriately, swearing in the wrong context does not help your cause or, or elevate your, uh, your goal in any way. And I'll let you respond to that before I go to the second half of the question. So that's so interesting, Brett. Like nobody, I'm telling you, literally nobody has ever brought this topic up from the book ever in three years of doing interviews on Take I'm weird like that. I, so I love it. So we're, and, and, and so here, the, the point of the book isn't so much that swearing makes you an evil person or a bad person, right? It's, it's, not, it's not about judging somebody. The, the, the whole purpose of the book, right, is, is about the elements and of increasing someone, your self-discipline. And that part is in, is in the chapter that's called the creation principle of integrity. And integrity is basically the congruence of your words and actions. Well, words are important because words are the first manifestation of ideas into real life. So it, it's only bouncing around in my head as an idea, but once I say it or I write it, like when I speak it, it now exists in the world. It can affect other people. It can be passed along. And so your words carry a, a tremendous amount of value and significance because when you are known as a person of integrity and people know they can count on you, then when you put an idea out there in the world, it automatically generates momentum because people know that you're a person of integrity. So if you say it, it's going to come true or you know, you're going to figure out a way. That's why when Oprah says you know, something, it, it lights a fire, right? It's like, hey, Oprah said this, and so everybody goes out and they do it. Well, when you, when you don't do what you say you're going to do, or basically we talk about these things that destroy the power of your word. And one of the things that destroys the power of your word is, is not doing what you say you're going to do. That, that, for, that causes people to hear your words differently. Um, but another one is when you don't have control over your language, when you're just, when you're just you know, saying stuff out loud, <laughs> uh, it, 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 lo- like it, it lowers your it lowers your impact. And so it, it's not so much necessary that swearing is good or bad. You know, I found, you know, just like you, it's, it, it serves you well to not do it. Um, in most cases, unless you're trying to be polarizing intentionally, 
Um, but it's more about the intentionality. So it's it's if somebody is swearing purposefully, that's even I would even say that's different from somebody who is just you know cussing like a sailor because that's what they do. Right. And that's very damaging because they're not they don't have control over their words. Well, there's a social construct surrounding cursing, and and uh, and saying swearing in the right company in in kind of what you would call an appropriate setting, say blue collar bowling tournament. Swearing mm-hmm. is is going to make you fit in. It's going to make people listen to what you say. But talking like that in a boardroom is it, people are going to they'll, they'll take offense, and you won't be saying what you actually mean because you're sprinkling in unnecessary words. Which is actually the second part of what I really liked in that chapter was the idea of verbosity, mm. and and it, this is a throwback to what you were saying, what initially sparked this question. But um, oh, yeah. like the idea that. Uh, you you have to take out words that you don't need. The idea that uh, you know perfection is when you when there's nothing more you can take away, which is something I've learned from my editors over the years. But it, it, I love the idea that, as Dan Quayle put it, and this is the only time I'll ever quote Dan Quayle, but <laughs> uh, verbosity leads to inarticulate things, and I think that's a very poignant point in that chapter of your book. In, in Take the Stairs, I should clarify which books I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know it's confusing. Now it's like there's two, but that yeah, well, yeah, I love that. And and you know, verbosity applied to your words affects your self discipline, and busyness applied to your life is 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 the parallel concept of that, which we kind of address in procrastinating on purpose. Um, you know, the subtitle of the new book is called Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. And it's radical. I mean, it's a radical de- departure from everything you've known. In fact, the first sentence of the book says, everything you know about time management is wrong. And the book is pretty radical. But one of the, the premise of the book, the one sentence here, to, so to, to practice what I preach, the one sentence of the new book that it's based on is the way that you multiply time is by giving yourself permission to spend time on things today that create more time tomorrow. And we call that living significant rather than living urgent. Urgent is I'm choosing my time by what's the most important thing I have to do today or what's in my inbox or who sent me a message. Significant is saying not what's the most important thing I have to do today. What can I do today that will create more time tomorrow or more scalable results tomorrow? And so one of the five permissions uh, is is the basically the permission to eliminate. And it's the permission to say no of the five um, in the whole book, that part of the case that we make, again, these are the results of the findings from our clients and and the research, is that eliminate is by far the one of the five where we have the widest swath of opportunity to create more margin in our life. And the way that it multiplies time is anything that I say no to today creates more time tomorrow because it prevents me from doing something that I would have otherwise been doing and and learning to say no is really hard. Um, it's just like learning to edit your book is really hard. Learning to cut is really hard. But that's what's so beautiful about what sculptors do. Yeah, is exactly. it's not about it's not adding. It's about what can you take away. Yes. Um, and that that's really powerful. I love sculpture and I love charcoal because it's not just about adding. It's about subtracting and blurring and changing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. My artistic tendencies aside, 
uh, that <laughs> that whole section just it led me to something I wanted to ask you, but I'm actually going to turn it into one of my top picks. Do you have time to do three top picks? Man, I got I got nothing but time. I know how to multiply time, Brett. So it's like That's I just amazing. got time. <laughs> Proof in the pudding. All right. Um, so yeah, let me take a quick sponsor break and then I will come back for the top three picks. This episode of Systematic is brought to you by Backblaze. $5 a month, unlimited, unthrottled, and secure backup. The thing is, if your backup is complicated, if you have to think twice about how you're going to back up any given day, you're not going to do it and backup has to be done. Backblaze makes that easy. It runs in the background and it just gets all of your stuff into the cloud. And when you need it, you'll be thankful for it. Visit backblaze.com slash systematic to support systematic and ESN. Let's see. All right. So your first top pick, it can be whatever you like in any order you like. Uh, give, go ahead and give me number one. Okay. So I actually wrote a blog about this and I'm not one to write about celebrity go like gossip. Um, but I wrote this cause it was so over the top good. Um, and I usually write it like three blogs a week, but I've never done this. I wrote a blog about Bruno Mars performance on the voice. Um, and this, this new song that they're singing called uptown and he just killed it. That the song is, it's it's so awesome. Like if you haven't seen this video, uh, just Google Bruno Mars um, the, on the Voice, and it, it's just the song is amazing. And that that's just something that I've drawn a lot of inspiration from. And I I turned it into, of course, you know, my blog is like leadership and and self discipline <laughs> and stuff. So I turned it into like leadership lessons to learn from Bruno Mars because he he crushed it. Nice. Um, I think I saw. Did did they did he perform that on Saturday Night Live at all? That song? Oh, I don't know, uh, but it's it's a huge song right now. It just came yeah, out. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't do much for <laughs> huge songs. Yeah, unless Spotify puts it at the top of what it thinks would be appropriate for me, and Bruno Mars rarely is. But I think I saw that. <laughs> I think I saw that song on Saturday Night Live, and for some reason, I'm watching that this season. But um, uh -huh. I haven't for years. But anyway, it, yeah, it was it was a good song. I'll have to look up that video because you make the performance sound especially good. Yeah, well, if you go to, I mean, if you go to my blog, it's, it's, you know, you can, you'll see it. It's like on the front page still, uh, but, or just Google. So shoot me a link to that and I'll put it in the show notes for people. Yeah, I will. It's RoryVadenBlog.com. And then it's, I don't know, it's probably two articles ago, but yeah, I can send it to you. Sounds great. Um, what was I going to say about Bruno Mars? There was something on my mind and then I lost it because that happens to me a lot. Oh, you know what though? I uh, I wrote a post the other day. Uh, you you've seen uh, in a in a cursory view. You've seen my blog, and it uh -huh. is uh, it's very technical. And uh, uh -huh. I wrote a post it's, about it scared me. <laughs> I wrote a post about <laughs> tips for driving in the winter. Oh yes, I saw this. And I saw this. <laughs> the very first comment that came in was, "This doesn't seem appropriate for a tech blog." <laughs> like, no, it's true. not a tech blog. This is my blog. You know, this, this isn't a company blog of any kind. I get to say what I want to. So I, I think it's perfectly appropriate. The Brett does whatever he does. <laughs> Damn well pleases blog. Look at me. You got me to cuss. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo. Um, all right. Well, let's see. My first pick is, as I mentioned before, I moved, I moved one down here. And it's, uh, it's a service called SaneBox. And I was telling, I, I have a friend who works at uh, the vape store where I go for my e-cigarettes, my nasty habit. Um, and he, 
uh, I had sent him a link to a friend's book about vaping, and he had missed it because he gets so much inessential mail. Mm-hmm. And I told him about SaneBox, which I've been using for years. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, no, I've not. This is a new one. It it it's a service that works with Gmail accounts, and it will figure out very intelligently what is uh, urgent email, like stuff you actually want to read today, and then what you can read later, and then everything else it splits up into like bulk mail and news newsletters and news lists and all of these things, and kind of splits it out for you, and then you can create custom boxes for things like, I have one called Annoying Stuff I Still Want to See, <laughs> that like will remove it from my inbox but leave it unread for me to view at my leisure, and then I have one that says Maybe Tomorrow, and I can uh-huh. drag a, a message from my inbox into that, and it'll pop it back up as a new message tomorrow when I have more brain space to deal with something. Wow. And I think it it relates back to your idea of like not living urgent. It takes away all of these, you know, the badge on your inbox on your iPhone or your phone that says, you know, you have 17 new email messages and you feel this urge to go read them all. This automatically before you even see that number, it helps you decide what actually you you need to see while you're out on your phone. That's pretty cool. And you can retrain it. If it makes a mistake, you just drag a message into a different folder and that retrains it right there with no like logging into websites or anything. It's very cool. I love it. That is cool. All right. So what's your second pick? So my my second pick um is it just a a book that I read um, this past year and you know, I read a lot. I read like a book every week actually. And you know, this one was huge. It was big for my life and for our business. It was called start with why it's by Simon Sinek. It's a pretty popular book. Um, but man, is it good? And it's just, it's just based on the whole idea that like people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And uh, you know, you're not looking for people to, who, to do business with who do what you do. You want to uh, do business with and do life with people who believe what you believe. And and the whole idea of just, you know, communicating kind of from the inside out based on your beliefs and then, um, align, you know, getting clarity about what are the things that you really believe in and then just aligning your whole life with that. And, and that is powerful and we, it made a huge impact on our business and a huge, huge impact, uh, huge impact on me. So that's, that's, that's my, that's my, my fave right now. So do you read a lot of books that like Barnes and Noble, uh, do they still exist? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they do. They still, okay. they're, they're still out there. Yeah. Do you, do you read a lot of books that they would put in the self-help section? I read a lot of nonfiction books. Um, so they would mostly be in the business section. Uh, Is that where know? those go? Yeah. Well, there's a self-help section too. Uh, but usually the the self help usually is more like kind of diet uh, diet books and self esteem. Yeah, that's, that's why that's why I phrased it as what Barnes and Noble would classify things as because I always figured that all the David Allen books it probably ended up in self help at some point. But yeah, I it's d- true. Didn't realize there was a business section. So well, it's funny. So take the stairs actually un- unfortunately kind of ends up in that self help section because I, I don't really like that. But the the new book you just mentioned David Allen. Like the the new book is all about systems and strategy for uh, both, uh, you know, your productivity. But part of part of it that is very different is it is about the emotional side of time management and not just the logical side. And it's based on the idea that 
fear and worry and guilt and need to feel need to feel valued those things drive our decisions about how we choose to spend our time as much as anything that's where the subtitle five permissions to multiply your time comes from it's really the emotional marriage of productivity uh with 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 the logical system so just since you mentioned david (laughs) allen sure i actually have a feeler out to get david allen on the show but Uh, i uh i also have one out for leonard cohen so we'll see what happens uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Both probably long shots. Uh-huh. I'm told David Allen doesn't actually like to do technical shows, so that's why yeah. I'm trying to make this a less technical show just for David Allen. Just so you can get David Allen. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my second pick, I think oh, I have to replace one now because I moved Sandbox up. So I'm going to – I had originally intended to kind of make it a book movie – uh, extravaganza here and I was going to list one of my favorites the Jesus incident by Frank Herbert and Bill Ransom but I'm going to skip that I'll probably throw it into the show notes just because I love it so much but uh have you seen Boyhood no uh it's this it's a movie that's out this year it got a lot of buzz um it, it was filmed over 12 years wow and yeah I mean basically they started when these actors were when the main actor was a, a toddler you know like and formative i don't understand children so um but he was a kid and then it goes through 12 years of filming up until he goes to college and it is all about like it's a it's a fictional story about um like alcohol abuse and broken families and all of these things and it doesn't moralize them in any way it just presents this kind of large slice of life that is, it's amazingly well done. It's extraordinary to watch, and I really loved it. Cool. I would that's highly a, recommend it. That's cool. So it's the same actor for yeah. 12 years. Yeah, you actually see all the actors in it mature, age, and and the the story is written such that you actually, you feel them growing. Like, it's re- it's written well enough that even if it hadn't been filmed over 12, even if they had subbed in actors, the writing on its own would have felt like a real gross story. But then when you factor in that kind of technical gimmick, it is, it's, it's just fascinating. Cool. Yes. All right. What are we on? Your third pick? We're on my third pick. Again, a little bit cliche, but it, it moved me emotionally. Was um, I saw the Unbroken movie. You've heard about this? No, I I'm not sure I have. Okay, so there's a, there's a book that is it's called Unbroken, and it's the story of Louis Zampernini, uh, Zamperini and he in World War II he was like a an uh, Olympic he was a guy in high school that basically qualified for the Olympics and then he gets drafted or he volunteers actually he goes to war and then his plane crashes uh, over in the middle of the ocean he's stranded on a raft for 45 days then he gets captured by the Japanese army he's in solitary confinement uh and he's just beaten and beaten and beaten and then and then he's taken to like one of the prison camps and they're just uh i mean and it's just it's so it's a movie angelina jolie did she directed it it's based on this book that sold a gazillion copies uh which totally prevents my book from ever having a chance at hitting <laughs> the, the, the number one bestseller list anytime soon um but it's, it's incredible just this story uh, of of the survival and you just like you watch this movie and you go it's amazing what we're capable of like th- th- there's there's so many times that I was just like I cannot believe this dude really 
survived all this. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Can I just say that aside from being incredibly hot, Angelina Jolie has done a lot of really impressive things lately. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty, uh, she's, you know, she's awesome. Like that's how I feel these days. I used to think she's a little bit creepy. Now I just think she's amazing. She is. She does like all sorts of good stuff for people. Like, uh, you know, she's like my wife loves Angelina Jolie, and I'm like, that's kind of weird, babe. Like, you know, it's but that she would like Angelina Jolie because it's kind of you know like we're not in celebrity (laughs) stuff, but she's cool. Yeah, she's a cool chick. I she's also if I had to pick like. A celebrity actress that I wouldn't want to get in a fight with, I think Angelina Jolie would be up there. And if I had to pick a male celebrity that I would want to be married to, it would be Brad Pitt. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Those yep. two together are, yeah. Okay. So enough celebrity gossip. That was fun. Um, <laughs> all right. So You're my, not allowed to talk about that on this podcast. But... No, that's my other podcast, Overtired. Oh, okay. That's pretty much all we talk about on Overtired. Um which, if you haven't heard it, is actually a really fun podcast. Cool. Um, Christina Warren from Mashable and I. Anyway, so my last pick is going to be an iPhone app that I have really enjoyed. I, I spent a weekend in Florida, um, which I will remain um, I, I will remain above commenting on Florida in general for this podcast and, um, and say that it's really handy to have an app on your phone that will take whatever is in your cabinet, your liquor cabinet at the moment and tell you what cocktails you can make. Wow, that's a, that's that's so cool. It is, is, it is very great. handy, especially when you're dealing with uh, situations that you might want to have a cocktail before. Um, and it's called Mixtura, M-I-X-T-U-R-A. And yeah, you literally, it gives you a checklist and you can just kind of swipe things left and right to say, this is what I have, this is what I don't. And then hit a button, and it will just give you a long list of, well, a long list depending on how many ingredients you have. But uh, but it'll give you a list of cocktails you could make. Interesting. It, it, That's it's, brilliant. It's what I, I mean, you can go to, like, recipes.com and type in, uh, you know, like, bourbon and, and vermouth, and it would tell you what you could do with it. But this is, it's on your phone. It's instant. It's amazing. It's great. Yes. That's very handy. I will tell people that they can find your uh, your new book is actually there's a free one hour webinar available at procrastinateonpurpose.com. Uh, so you can take a look at that before you make any decisions about procrastinating on purpose. Mm-hmm. And you can find Rory at Rory underscore Vaden on Twitter and apparently also at RoryVadenblog.com, which I'm sure would be fun for people, right? Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. All right. And uh, and I am Brett Terpstra. I'm at brettterpstra.com. And I have a podcast called Overtired that you should check out, previously mentioned. And I'm TT Scoff everywhere. Everywhere. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Rory. Oh, yeah, Brett. Thanks for having me, my man. Good. Uh, all the best to you. I appreciate your time. And that was episode 126 of Systematic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>